And this morning, God willing, going to continue. That word continue might be uh, strange to some, because for some of you this will be the first, maybe, of the series. But before even, I think I touched on some of this in August, but uh, I think this is continuing from probably a year ago. We were going through the epistle to uh, John, first letter of John. Um, and this actually is part 14. I was just looking in the back there at some old notes, and this is part 14. So we have been going through this for some time, and I hope, um, unless the Lord, of course, says differently, to continue and complete this over the next months. Uh, I'd imagine throughout the next year, uh, that doesn't mean it'll be consecutive. We may have breaks here and there. But I want to continue this because I believe that this letter is crucial, of course. It's scripture, therefore it is crucial. But what this does is it, it puts us on the weighing scales. You will have heard me say that. You know, this letter really deals with the heart of a man. You know, where are we? Where are we? Where are you? How do I stand before God? Am I saved? Am I his? And though those things at times can be very difficult questions... There are questions that we must ask because we're not dealing with uh, something that's unimportant or temporal. We're dealing with eternity. As part of you, friend, this morning, each and every one of you, whether you're the child that's colouring on the floor or or whether you're the one that's creaking on your seat, um, you will stand before God. You will meet God. And as I've said before, I will stand on my own. I won't be there with my children or my wife, I will stand before God on my own. And you will. So though these things at times, they, 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 they make us uncomfortable, admittedly, yes. Um, but if, there are, if you're a Christian, it does this thing in your heart. It gives you a joy that it surpasses all things. When I sing that song, There is a Redeemer, it gives me joy. Yeah? It gives me a certainty. There is a redeemer. And as we look, most of you, I would say, are older than me. But as we reflect on our past and you look at that sin and that, that way of life you once lived, you, you sometimes think, is there a redeemer for me? Can God really save me? Can God deal with that that I did? Can he? The answer is this. There is a redeemer. Jesus, God's own son. I think, I speak for myself again, I think Russell will join me, Darren might even join me, some of you will join me, that we can become so theological that we forget the real basics of Christianity. Christ died for sinners. Christ died for sinners. And the text that I'm going to read today, yeah, it's one that I think the church has used to create cults. And I also think that it's also on the other extreme one that's not been looked at enough. So a a difficult text for me to stand before you this morning and deal with. But in the end, what I hope that it does, and the Spirit of God will do what he will do, it'll give you a greater joy might cause you to go home and say, wow, I've got some work to do with my own heart. I hope that happens. Or it'll do this, it'll save you. It'll save you. One of the things, you know, 
that over the last two prayer meetings or three, two or three, I, I can't quite remember. First of all, I want to say to you, I've been humbly blessed by them. Humbly blessed by our prayer meetings of late. A great, I've gone out the door thinking, yes, we've prayed. But one of the things that we are praying for, and I want you to know this, to encourage you, to be a praying for it yourself, is sinners are saved and that the gospel is told. The gospel is again restored. You see, we have a problem in our age where we think it's the, the ability of a preacher. If you think that, you're mistaken. Russell said something that is long-lasting in my mind, is if we can talk somebody into salvation, they can soon be talked out of it. What we need, friends, right, is this. We need the gospel to be preached and the power of God. And Paul turned up at one, th- one, at 1 Thessalonians. He turned up in Thessalonians, and the letter is 1 Thessalonians. And he says, I came not in word only, but in power and the demonstration of the Spirit. Now, what is that? Maybe that's for another day, but the effects are there, very straight away there in the context. And it says, you turn from serving idols onto the living God. My friends, that's the power of the Spirit. That's what the Spirit does. He changes your dark, dull heart onto him. So as I deal with this text, I want you to understand that this is the heart of the gospel. I want you to know that these words have been, in my opinion, abused. They have been used as an axe. They've been used as a, a standard that is without the, without the Spirit. Let me say this as clear as I know how. Without the Spirit, you will go home from here heavy. But if the Spirit does its work, you will go out of here with great joy. The Spirit brings joy. I'm going to read to you then... I'm just going to pick the, the verses that I've got, and I'm trusting your Bible readers. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. We have spoken so much through these verses already. We've spoken upon the deity of Christ. We've talked about what it is to have fellowship with him. We've talked about what it is to have fellowship one with another. We've talked about joy. These things write we unto you that your joy might be full. We talked about walking in the light. As he is light. That's the walking in holiness, the pursuit of holiness, for he is holy. We've said if we, if we say we have no sin, we're liars and we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And then, of course, as we sang, and I've spoke of already in brief this morning, verse 9 of chapter 1, if we confess our sins, listen to this, he is faithful. And just to forgive our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And again, if we say that we have not sinned, listen to these words, we make him a liar. We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We went through then, of course, into chapter 2. My little children, 
We talked about Christ being the advocate, the righteous. He is, a, he is our propitiation. He is the one who has took the full wrath of God in order that we can receive his grace. Christ did that. If we know him, we keep his commandments. We went through that, another difficult text to, to deal with. We have a joy now that, that this dull, cold heart that, that can't keep the law. That we now, because we're a child of God, we love his law. And we will long to keep them. But the text that we're at this morning says this. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That is our text for today. We have similar scriptures throughout the Bible. We have that theme throughout the Bible. We have it all the way through the Old Testament. Don't flee to Egypt. Israelites were often fleeing to the things of the world. Don't trust in horses and chariots. Trust in your living God. We see that theme throughout the whole of Scripture. We're here in 1 John 2. We're told not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now let me say this, and I say it very briefly because I haven't got the time, but I say it to prod your thought as you read the Bible. When we talk about words and context and Greek and Hebrew and all these things that, that certainly a preacher should deal with, we should deal with context. Is this a contradiction? Because we are told that God so loved the world, so therefore why is he telling his people not to love the world? Now, on our English reading, that could seem like a contradiction. But I'll say to you, understand the context, that the world there, the name, the word there, world, yes, is cosmos. But the context is massive. God did so love the world that he gave his only son that, that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But here we need to deal with what is being said in this context. There is no way a contradiction. We see we hear in Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. James 4, 4 says friendship with the world is enmity with God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. So we have it in other places. The, the Bible is clear upon that. So we have these texts that clearly state to us that to love the world or to be conformed to the world or to be a friend of the world for the Christian, one who has been saved, one who has been born again, one who has been made new, For the Christian ought not to be so. This is a warning. I'd say that this is an encouragement. In the verses ahead there, he speaks of fathers, sons, young men. I'm telling you these things 
not to condemn you, but to bring you to a fuller knowledge, to help you in your pilgrimage with God. Don't love the world. Don't be conformed to its ways. Don't live like it. Don't partner it. This is a warning and it's an issue, a major issue and a very dangerous one. You may remember there in the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy that Demas had forsaken him. Why? Having loved this present world. Having loved this present world. That You'll find that in 2 Timothy 4. Paul warns those at Coloss, of course, to the letter of Colossians. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. Paul says in Galatians, and this is why I was so encouraged that my brother Paul had sent me this text this morning, he says in Galatians 1, 4 that I've read, that Christ may deliver us from this, this present evil world. So we already, even within five minutes of dealing with this, we see that there is a theme, a reality, an encouragement to you. You know, note this. When it says saints in the scriptures, Russell dealt with this when he he did some work in in Colossians some time ago. Saints. Saints is not the Catholic nonsense. But you, if you're in Christ, are a saint. It means you're separated Unto him. Yeah? He's separated. He's been sanctified. Set apart for him. So this is to us. This, these letters are to... There is much to those at Galatians, Galatia as they are to us. This is for us. This is the word of God. So we have to deal with it. Wouldn't it be lovely, friends, this morning to skip over these three verses? I think so. We cannot if we're going to be faithful to the word of God. So we have these descriptions of the world and these warnings not to love, befriend or be conformed to the world. But we have to ask that question, what on earth does that mean? What does it mean not to love the world? What is that warning? What does it mean? And this apostle here, John, says, Love not the world, nor the things of the world. And that's where earlier what I meant is that this has been used very ugly. I know that I have seen that, to some degree experienced that. But it's not been used and said enough. So we need, by God's help, to deal with this properly and able to live what we've been asked to live. So before we try by God's help to answer what is meant, let me by God's help explain to you what I think what it doesn't mean, what it does not mean. This is not a call, these three verses, is not a call to monasticism or in other words to live like a monk. 
Okay? That's not what is being said here. There we go, look at that. I can hear my own voice there. This is not a call to do and live how monks live. And I would love to kind of explain that in a greater, greater level. Some people, as you know, even, even today, pull themselves completely out of the world and live in complete isolation from the things of the world. Everything is evil. Everything is evil. And they segregate oneself where there's no society. And they live what they think is a so-called religious life. You're going to speak to anybody about that. Speak to Luther. No, he's dead. But he lived a monk life. But then he came to the great knowledge of saving faith. Have you ever thought it? Wouldn't it be easier for me just to be away from all this worldly stuff, these temptations, these things, this constant battle with sin? You ever thought it? If only that wasn't there to tempt me. Let me tell you something what you take. If you were to go and live the monk life, why, it's, why in my view, though we could strip it down quite easily, because it's not biblical... But I'll tell you why, what the problem would be if you were to go and build a cave and live in it. Why you still wouldn't work. You could not take your Facebook page. You could not take your television. You could not take anything that the world, would, what we would term as worldly. Oh, I'll be fine then. Friends, don't fool yourself because you're taking one thing that is the problem. And that is your very heart. That's why, my friends... This is not talking about going and living as a monk. Doesn't work. Can't work. And it, we ought not to try for it to work. We are not called to go and live in a cave and think that we will live the religious life. Won't work. Because you're there. So it's not the call to the monk life. It's not a call to that so-called religious way of life. John is not saying that the Christian should not enjoy the good things that God has given us. Again, and I'm going to use this time because we haven't got an evening service tonight, so I'm going to, I'm going to be at liberty. Things that get so messed up in churches... Let me say to you, I can look to the left and it's alright for you to do that one thing, but I might look to the right and it might not be okay for the other person to do. I hope you're mature enough to understand what I'm saying to you. There is a personal way of life as well. The only real example that I can use is, is alcohol. It might be okay for one to have a glass of wine with his wife, but not another. And either way, my friends, does make not make you more righteous or more unrighteous than the next. They are called your personal convictions of your Christian life, and you want to do them according to that which you do before God. So I'm not going to get into the detail, 
But I'm going to first say what this is not. And it doesn't mean that we don't enjoy the good things that God has given us. I remember a part of, of my growth in God. I thought that being, having no television was the answer to become more holy. Now that might be for you. Might have been for me. But it's not what I'm talking about. See, we can get so caught up in religion that we're doing things and they end up only being works. They're not anything to do with the Spirit of God. And it's a problem within every church. It's a problem within every church. So we're not called to live like monks. We're not called to build a cave and live off the grass. We're not called to not enjoy the gifts that God has given us. And has he not given us good gifts? Social time with our friends. The afternoon tea with your wife, the walking holiday, the the reading by the pool. You name it. You name it. Sitting at the top of a cricket ground on a May morning. Wonderful. It's not what I'm talking about. It's not what the Apostle Paul... uh, John is really talking about a lot good in what is out there. And I think that I'm speaking, I trust with people who understand that. All things unto the Lord. But in that kind of language, we must note that that can be a language that gives license to live and do whatever it is we want to do. We've got the freedom where where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It doesn't matter. So here you see already as I'm standing before you, I'm struggling to find a way to communicate how to deal with this. Because we are free, yet we ought to live according to his grace. So we can have that, there is, it seems in many Christian lives that we don't know how to walk in this because we actually become so, we get religiously bound up. We get so religiously bound up that there's no joy, it just works. He doesn't do that, so I won't. Now, I'm not talking about obvious overt sin. That's why this is so difficult. I will not justify sin, ever. We're not talking about sin. We're talking about your way of life. It might be good for you. It might be that you need to get rid of that television in your life because it's your God. But that's not the standard. It's not the standard. So the things that we do do and will do and enjoy to do. Let us be a people who do our hobbies. You want to read a book about the Titanic? <laughs> it's true. It is true. And I have no interest in it at all. But you do it to the glory of God. Yeah? Our interests. Our, our relaxations, sitting with friends with a meal. Oh, what a wonderful thing. But we do it to the glory of God, don't we? And for his glory. That which we must do must glorify God. 
So all that being said, let us be mindful, be careful, not to mistake or make our mistake in deceiving ourselves by convincing ourselves that it is just an interest when maybe it's not just an interest. I'm not speaking about the Titanic, by the way. We can, we can, can't we? We we all do it. Justify this. Justify that. Actually, this is becoming sin now. That this is becoming sin. It's not just a meal with my family. It's actually becoming an ugly social obsession at the expense of worship of Christ. The question then is, does it come before God? Does it come before God? Does your Netflix account get more devotion from you than communion with God? That's what I'm talking about. That's when you have to make decisions in your life, what's good and what's not. I won't bore myself or you by getting into the detail, because you are Christians, I hope, this morning, and you will deal with this in your own personal and family life. That Netflix account, is that, is that the pinnacle of your life? That series you might be watching? Is that where your heart really is? Does your health and fitness regime take precedence over your private and public prayer? You notice I'm not saying that these things are bad. This is not about whether they're bad or not. You decide that. You decide that. But does your... And I'm just picking on a few. But does that, does that come before God? Does that... Does that usurp the place of God. As you, if, and if you will, turn to the end of this epistle that we're dealing with. It says, John says this, children, do not have idols. This is what we're talking about. Well, that's what, that's what John here is dealing with. Is do these things usurp the place of God in your life? Are you more interested in filling your bank than being filled with the Spirit? You see, money's not evil. But the love of money is. And that sums up so much. These are questions I ask myself and I ask you this morning. They're but a few, aren't they? You see, we must take this with most seriousness. Because I'm saying it, please, not at all. Because John asks this. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, if someone says to me, well, I, I really enjoy the cricket. Do I love the world? I can't enter that conversation. I'll tell you what, the, uh, the sun's shining. If, if you were going to ask me what would be the perfect day, it would be probably the third day of the test match. Trent Bridge, in the stands with maybe a few of you. Is that sin? You make your own mind up. But if I can go, I'll go. Let's, not, let's, let's, be, let's be mature in this. Let's be, let's be wise in this. Because these scriptures, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with it in this way, because these scriptures have put men in boxes, families in boxes, and they, all they become is monks in their own home. 
But these things, if we are that mature Christian, ought to make us tremble. We must speak of these weighty matters. We are dealing, as I said on the onset, we are dealing with eternity. We are dealing with your soul, with my soul that will stand before God. This is no light thing. Now some of us, some of you, people do, might say this, well I don't smoke, I am not a drunk, I don't even have Netflix. Don't watch TV. I read my paper, and that's the telegraph by the way. I go to church, I say my prayers, there's nothing worldly about that kind of life is there? My friends, you can abstain from all of the above, yet still have a worldliness that surpasses Demas. Because I said before, talk about a heart issue. Talk about what is first in your heart. What is first in your heart? In Matthew 5, it says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, meant there that my righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. If our righteousness does not exceed mere outward religion, we have nothing, friends. We're talking about an inward, internal state of your heart and mind. Where is our heart? What is meant then by the word here, world? world of course it's very simple it's this the word world as I've mentioned already is cosmos the word not only includes the natural environment that we live in it's seasons we've already mentioned some of that this morning it's vegetation it's producers but it also includes it's social cultural and economic systems. Now we're going to get somewhere. Now we're going to hopefully get somewhere. Do not love this world. Again, let us make it clear, and it's, 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 it's very obvious, I know. We are not called to dismiss the created order of God. We've spoke already this morning of the grandeur of creation, the beauty that the sun is shining through these windows. That the daffodils again are starting to show ahead. That the valleys, the plains, the mountains, they show and display God's glory. The world is a great display of his glory. We love that, don't we? We love the world that we live in in that sense. Some of us have had the pleasure to see things across the lands and across the nations, the beauty that this world has. We're not called to dismiss the loving of that and the appreciation of that, for it is that that displays who he is. There's a greater meaning here in this context. The world here in John means the agenda, the organization or the system of men and their mindset and outlook outlook as it ignores God and has a rebellion of him. Now we're getting somewhere. 
Now we begin to get somewhere. Martin Lloyd-Jones makes this comment regarding the way of the world. It means the outlook that has rebelled against God and turned its back upon him. It means, in other words, the typical kind of life that is being lived by the average person today who has no thought of God but thinks only of this world and this life, who thinks in terms of time and is governed by certain instincts and desires. It is the whole outlook upon life that is exclusive of God. That's the system of the world. Its whole agenda, its whole system has an outlook which is man-centered and is exclusive of God. doesn't include God. has no thought of God. That is the world to which we live in, friends. And I don't need to stand here to convince you of that. It's very apparent. And it's very apparent as the days go by. This is what the Apostle John then says in verse 16. He helps us, doesn't he? Thank God he helps us. What is the way of the world? We have the description there in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we have this description. We have this description. So let us look at it just for a, for a moment. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. What is that? Now, if you are a Christian this morning, you will know exactly what that is in your own life. And to some degree, you don't need a preacher to tell you. Because it's your constant battle. That's what it is. Lust of the flesh. And this is an unquenchable desire to please the flesh. To gratify oneself. This is the way of the world. They live to eat rather than eat to live. Just as it was in the days of Noah. Drinking and eating. Consumed by the flesh. With a heart cold and dull to God. Now the problem is, again, as I've tried to address and poorly, poorly really tried to address... What some Christians and churches will do then is say, oh, well, well, I shouldn't then go and enjoy a real nice feast with my family. Please, that's not what's being said. This is about a heart condition. This is about where's your heart? Is it, have, you, have we just got hearts to live and feed the flesh and live for today? But no concern of God. That's what the apostle is dealing with here. We long, don't we, again as a church to fill that room with lovely food and eat together. And rejoice in it. No doubt you are longing right now to sit around the people who you love and eat. That's what's not what I'm saying. It's not what's being said. It's the heart that is the problem. There's an unhealthy and an ungodly obsession of gratifying the flesh in this world. How many food programs are there on the telly? Every other channel? Every other channel? And as you know, I was a chef by trade. And I take interest in some of them. 
but it sees the agenda of the world. It sees what's important. What? Is food bad? No. But to fill your face and take it without any thought of God is the way of the world. We ought not to be so. More food, and I'm going to say it, more sex, more glamour, more me. That's the world. That is the world. That is the system and the evil world that we belong to or live in. The world's attitude is let us eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's it. There's no thought of God. There's no thought of his holiness. There's no thought that there's a redeemer. He has no thought to God. Let us eat. Let us drink. Let us party. Let us be merry. Do you know what, friends? We've all lived that life, haven't we? We've all lived it. We've all woke up on a Sunday morning hungover. So you don't need me to explain this because we've lived it. With no thought of our precious and holy God in heaven. The lust of the eyes. Difficult one to deal with. Church. But let me say it shortly and as directly as I know how to. It is through the eyes that often sin arises. It is through the eyes that often sin arises. The world for us is a vanity fair. And there's so much that could be said. So much that could be said. Your temptation might not be the same as the person sitting behind or in front of you. But there's a system, isn't there, out there? And it is everywhere. Everywhere you look. If you innocently put the news on, you are sitting before something that it could turn into something most evil. How the world's vanity is, the importance of how one looks. Now all of us this morning, I hope, looking at some, I'm unsure, but I hope we've gone, we've bathed, we've looked. We want to come and look pretty presentable. We want to care for that which God has given us. We want to look after it. And so we ought. So please don't walk out of here and misinterpret. And please don't put words in my mouth. As if we can live like some lout because it's... Doesn't, this world doesn't matter. That's not what's being said. But I'm saying to you, there's a system in this world that is absolutely obsessed with how you look. How you look, my friends, before God is completely, and thank God, completely unimportant. The obsession of this selfie life. Selfie life. I don't know much about it, I confess, but apparently now you can have photos with filters on them that make you look better. True? I hope you get the spirit of what's being said rather than the particular detail. There's an evil agenda out there. And that is the system of this world. 
My brothers and sisters, I want to say to you this morning, it's my firm belief that we live in a pornographic world. That's what I'm talking about. Pornographic world. And this kills people. And it kills marriages. This is not a light thing. That is the system of this world that we ought not to love. We ought not to love. And I want to say to you, the world out there promotes it on every corner, everywhere they can. Some of you aren't going to be news reporters. You don't look right. I'm going to say something that some of you might want to kick me with. But you look on most, most, or let me say, a good number of church websites and their worship band is pretty pretty. Someone said, have we got a worship band? I said, oh, we have. It's great. And some of them are ugly. We've partnered the world, friends. The church has partnered the world. This is serious. It's vanity. Complete and utter vanity. You know that body that you're sitting there in and the one that's standing before you is dead due to sin. But we'll have a glorified body. That when we stand in glory, we shall see his face. This is dead due to sin. And so many of us have our eyes transfixed upon it. It ought not to be so. It ought not to be so. I want to address men. I'm going to say men, I'm a man. Pornography. Churches don't talk about it, do they? Massive issue. Massive, massive issue in the lives of particularly, particularly men. I want to say to you, if you have an issue with that today, I want to say to you, you are, first of all, I'd say flee to Christ for healing. Because he deals with it. He deals with that. He deals with it. It's evil from the core. But if you want to talk about it, this church is open to talk to you about it. Because it's a huge problem and it will eat you up. And it will ruin your marriages. Let us deal with these things, brothers and sisters. But men, address you. Flee from it. Don't be on the balcony. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? David was supposed to be at war. David should have been dealing with the enemy. David should have been doing what he was called to do. But because he wasn't there, he was standing on the balcony, he saw a beautiful woman, and that was it, the rest of his lineage. Flee from it. And you know what? I dare say it. In fact, Russell, turn this Facebook Live off. I want to just dress this church, not anybody else. Be accountable to your own wives. Be accountable. Men, are we off? Be accountable to your own wives. 
wives, ask your husband, what were you doing at 11 o'clock last night when I was in bed? So important. Not to condemn, friends, but that we might be called to live for Christ. That we might be called to love him and not the evil that's going on out there. Because it will have you. It will pursue you. And it will ruin you. And many, and I'm not talking outside, I'm not on the street this morning. Talking to Christians who have this battle. And you know what, they stay on their own. It eats them and eats them up. And then they find out that there's a divorce. There's a ruined marriage. There's children that have been neglected. Because this sin just infested and infested. And the, and the marriage died. Why? Because pornographic images was in the mind of the man. We need cleansing, man. We need dealing with. We need to come to Christ and repent of our filth. Love not the world. I know this is hard. I know it's not come by all. I know that it's difficult. But if we want to be a church that has purity, if we want to see a church that where the word of God is absolutely spoken of, then we can't not deal with these things. The biggest problem in a man's life is women and sex in the main. Or money. And if we're heads of the house, first thing is we're not going to look to our wife and tell her what she, we think she needs to get right. We need to deal with ourselves, men. It's time to grow up. May God help us. May God help us. It's vanity out there. It really is. We need, my friends, this morning God's help hugely. Hugely. Everywhere you turn. Put the news at ten on. It's there. It's there. It's not just of those things, though, is it? It's not only those things. It's a slippery pole. We want to achieve, we want to get somewhere at the uncaring of, of, of that colleague will stamp on the head to get to the top. As long as I'm alright, as long as I get that rise, as long as I get that promotion, who cares about the, the guy next to me in the office? Pride of life. Pride of life. This means, in its simple form, is this self gratification. Self gratification. All about me. As I've said already, at the expense of others, as long as I get what I get, with no concern of anybody else. Self idolizing self idolizing that's what pride of life is me, myself and I I think there was a film called that it's all about me and what I want and often that of course is at the expense of what God really wants for you seeking vain applause You know one of the most dangerous places 
in a church where men seek applause? You're looking at it. You're looking at it. Over the last six months, we have seen two well-known Christian preachers, one in particular, that have fell in such a huge manner. I'm not talking about something that was swamped. I'm talking about the ruining of people's lives. Why? Because men who stood here got applause. Men who stood here were not uh, given counsel. Why the plurality of elders is crucial, friends, in the church. Too many lone rangers, too many big shot preachers. Why? Self gratification. Look at my eloquence. Look at the way I look at the church that's just growing. May it not be here. May it not be here. We've seen this, haven't we? Sadly, and I address it first, as I already have, in the church. They're just, they're just that which is known. They're just those big names that are public. I was reading a book recently about the life of the pastor, or eldership, whatever it is you want to term these things. It's scary. We're called to holiness. I am, and you are. But how are the mighty fall? You see, this is not just a message to you. This is very much a message to me, Russell, Darren, Winston there at the back. Your life, brothers, are on show. And how we conduct ourselves is of huge importance. Not only for our own personal Christian walk, yes, of course, but for your sakes. For your sakes. But out in the world to which we are addressing this morning, we have this constant praise, don't we, of men. We've seen that over the last 12 months. I want to say to you, I'm amazed how some Christians have been drawn into this. I'm amazed, I am, how we've been drawn into worshipping a constitution or an organisation. Again, I say it carefully. I'm saying it privately as a family. I'm very careful in in this. And I'm open for criticism, whatever I say. But we have so elevated man in the last 12 months. It's abhorrent. Silly pictures in the window. Rainbows. Let me tell you what the rainbow, again, I say it again, is not the NHS's. It's not Sir Tom Moore's. It's certainly not a movement. The rainbow is God's. It's not man's. It's God's. And it says it's because he made a covenant with us. Not to give it to some other man. We've applauded men to the, to the, to such a, in such a way. Now again, and I say it because of context, we ought to be grateful for God's mercies in the NHS. We ought to be grateful that there are so many things that we can today go to and have help. But we're not called to worship them, friends. And we have seen secular worship at a height in the last 12 months, in my opinion, which is real ugly. The constant elevation of organisations and its success 
at the expense of ceasing to worship God. That's the great calamity. That's the great sadness. I think what it has proven to us, hasn't it, is that there is an innate uh, wanting, longing to worship. But what we've done is we're worshiping man, worshiping organizations in the, in the expense of failing to worship God. We were called, friends. We were called to worship God and to worship God alone. We were called, yes, to honor our mother and our father. Yes, we're called to honor governments and rulers and kings and princes. Oh, yes, we are. But we're not called to worship them. We're called to worship him and to worship him alone. And this world system, at its core, hates God. Get that into your mind. It hates God and wants nothing to do with God. We have a pride movement that says, I will live in complete opposition to God's creative order. That's the movement. Call it what you want. But if you're going to ask me what I'm going to call it, I'm going to see complete rebellion to God's order. And not only living that way, but boasting in that way. Not only boasting in it, but celebrating in it. Not only celebrating in it, but if you disagree with it, you're a bigot. We've got to be careful. We've be very careful that we don't get sucked into this. Self-glorification. Spitting in the face of God. That's what the system of this world is. The Apostle John tells us not to love the world. We ought not to love this way of life. We ought to not be in it and of it. You see, you see this, I hope, don't you? For any man loves all of those things, and I'm just touching obvious things, I'll be honest with you, they're very obvious, yet they're very dangerous. How can the love of the Father be in them? How can it be so? These things are not of the Father. But are the things of the God of this world. Corinthians 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Satan is the God of this world. Do you love God? That's the question. This morning. Do you love God or do you love the world? Do you love God or, or do you love the world? See, these things we can easy, can't we? We can roll off the tongue and say, Yes and Amen, I love I love God. Yet our very lives are in so partnership with this evil world. The scripture says, well, the love of the fathers then is not in you. It's not in you. Romans 13. How are then we to be? Let us walk honestly. Verse 13. That verse 12, I begin at verse 12 of Romans 13. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armour of light. 
Let us walk honestly as the day, not in rioting and drunkenness. Friends, if there's any drunkenness amongst us, flee from it. And if drunkenness is a continual issue in your life, not only flee from it, but pour the bottle away. Get rid of it. Get rid. Not in rioting and drunkenness. Not in chambering and wantonness. Not in strife and envying. But then it says this, Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't put yourself in a place that causes you to live that way. But put yourself in a place, in surroundings, in friendships, in church life, in prayer meetings, in study, in, in, in these things that protect us. The, you know, This is the grace of God that we can partake in, hearing the word preached and singing his hymns. It is actually for our good. We're benevolence of it. We're, we benefit from these things. It, it helps us do those things. Make no provision for the flesh and to fulfill the lust thereof. This, my friends, this morning, though we're near in the afternoon, this is how Christians ought to live. This is how we're called to live. They do not live for the world. You see, God in his mercy has chosen us from this world unto himself. He's chosen us unto himself. He's given us a life, an abundant life. Now, today... Today, a heart that has changed by the washing of the Spirit. This is regeneration. This is being born anew. You see, we have a constant cry to go to Christ. We long, don't we, with Christian, again referring to the pilgrim's progress, to, to flee from the celestial city. We, don't, we have that innate, that, that wanting, that longing to depart from this world and go into the next. Because that's where our true home is. To be with Christ for all eternity. As I looked around, we sang the last verse of that song, When I stand in glory. There's a sweetness about that, isn't there? There is a day coming, my friends, that we will stand in glory. We shall see him and we shall be like him. This is a positive message. This is a flee from sin and a flee to him. Some of us, all of us, in many differing ways, and I say it graciously, I trust, we need to flee from our childish ways. And we again need to be men and women of his word, be led by his spirit. Flee. I was in a conversation of the day, excuse me, with a brother. He said the same thing. What is, I, friends, I need to flee from, from my childish ways. And so do you. I don't care whether you're 81 or whether you're, or whether you're 10 or 12. But men and women, those of you who call yourself Christians, you've got to flee from some of these childish ways. Because what we need today are Christians who are willing to battle. Because no matter how much we interpret what's going on in our day, we can know this, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. And it's going to take the church of God, my friends, to stand. Is this coming a day where that door will open and I'll be arrested for some of what I've said today? Because God created man and woman. Period. Period. Okay? We're in difficult times. 
And we've got to be men. And we've got to be women. Flee from the things of this world. Let us not love it. So we finish with verse 17 and we finish quickly. This is the great hope. This is the, this is the loveliness of all this. Verse 17 of our context. 1 John 2 verse 17. There's a time, as we've already addressed, the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, praise God. You see the positiveness of this. There's a day coming where the old battle with sin is over. There's a day coming, that's, that's for sure. But he that doeth the will of God abideth. Forever. I don't know how you feel this morning. When I read that, after all that hard ground we've just covered, there's a certainty. And I think, well, I know one John goes on to deal with this later on. And I've already quoted it. When you see him, you shall be like him. That battle with sin is over. The battles of our fight against what's out there is done. And we shall live with him for all eternity. The world with its evil will one day pass away. Satan will be dealt with forever. But he that doeth the will of God, the Christian, what is to do the will of God? As I was preparing this, I asked myself this question constantly. What is to do the will of God? Now, you might want to come up with a great theological statement. I, I wouldn't say that we need that. I'd say this is to believe, it is to believe upon him who he has sent. It's to believe upon him who he has sent. Jesus Christ the righteous, the son of the living God, and live our lives according to it. And we're going to hear, no doubt, as Russell, as Russell goes through this Acts, that he has given us his spirit. Why has he given us his spirit? He has given us his spirit. He has given you his spirit. You are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. What I see today is stones of that temple. Filled with the spirit. Why? That you might live this Christian life, friends. You can't do it without the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it without the third person of the Godhead. No spirit, no Christian. But if you've got him, oh my friends, be assured of this. You have him. And you have him for all eternity. What hope? What promises? One of the problems of the church today is we don't hold fast enough to his promises. We've got a great promise, friends. A great promise. And that he has given us eternal life. So I finish. And I ask you to forgive me for this messy sermon. But I finish with this. Do you, today, know this Christ? Do you today know that he is a redeemer? Have you had an experience of meeting with him? Do you know him? Do you know that he is the son of God who manifests himself in the flesh? was born of a virgin womb, 
Do you know that he lives 33 lives of sinlessness in order that you might be saved? Do you know that he died a death as a criminal that you might be saved? That is the will of God, that you believe upon him who he has sent. My friends, today that is the call to you. But I finish with this. If you do know him, go from here with a leap in your step. Go from here with your heart pounding to live and love for him more. In your workplace, in your family, before your children. Love Christ and flee from sin and flee from the wrath to come. My friends, we have a saviour. His name is Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you today, he loves you. And he died in order to save you. Repent and believe the gospel. Amen.